Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God that revealed yourself to your creation. We thank you that you have spoken to us, not only by the works of your hands, but you speak to us through the prophets, but most clearly through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a God that continues to speak today, and we pray that as we turn to your holy word, the Bible, the scriptures, you would speak to us. Oh, Father, we confess that perhaps the the greatest issue in our day is not that you speak, but rather that we are slow to listen and slow to obey. And so we pray for both preacher and hearer alike, for all of us, Lord, that we would submit to your word, we would be encouraged by the things that we hear, we would be challenged by things that we need to consider in our lives, And in all things, Lord, we pray that we would bring you glory, honour and praise. So we ask for your blessing now and the help of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians 5. We'll be spending most of our time in this passage together. As we turn to um, this passage of, of Scripture, it's, it's a very familiar passage for, for many of us. Uh, it's a passage that's, that's often read at weddings, and if you're doing a series on relationships, sometimes you, you look at Ephesians 5 in the context of family relations between husbands and wives. When we look at Ephesians 5, usually uh, the emphasis is on the imperatives, the commands, the exhortations to husbands and wives, to love one another, respect, submit to to one another. And and, and that's that's a helpful place to to focus on in in Ephesians 5. But today I actually want to look at something that lies behind that. Sometimes we're too quick to look at the exhortations, the commands, the encouragements, but there's actually something that goes beneath and beyond those commands to husbands and wives. And it's applicable to, uh, to more than married couples. And so I want to look at some statements of deep truth that relate to the church. This is a passage that speaks of the church as the bride of Christ. Now, many of us would be familiar with that picture. But when I speak to people, that's where it often stops. I say, yes, the church is the bride of Christ. And few of us really know how to apply that in our daily living, what does it mean for us to respond to the church being the bride of Christ? As, as, as a guest minister here, I, I don't know who here is regular, who here is visiting. Um, but when I speak to people, particularly in the community, there, there are very different views of what the church is. For example, some people believe when you talk about church, it's a building. It's a building. It's an architectural masterpiece. Sometimes people talk about churches as a nice community, a a nice bunch of people. For others still, it could just be a religious organisation or a political lobby group. But for some in the community, churches have a very negative connotation. Sometimes they think churches are corrupt places, a place of moral failure, of disappointments and hurts. They're for people outside the church, but... 
I suspect many people here are regular either members or regular attenders of Dremoyne. And even within our own hearts, even within Christians, even within individuals, there's, we have to be aware that we're very influenced by the world that we live in. And we live in a Western world, in a 21st century Western world, where one of the gods or one of the idols of this world is the right, the priority of the individual. The individual is king in our 21st century world. And, and that seeps and that soaks into the Christian life. So it says that the Christian life didn't begin many thousands of years ago, but sometimes the Christian life began with my conversion or your conversion. That's when the Christian life started. And you often hear that the Christian life is no one else's business. It's me, my God, and my Bible. And we take all of these things together, the external views, the internal views, and so often we have a very low view of church. But in Ephesians 5 and also in the book of Revelation, as we'll see later, God has a very different view. God has a very high, has an exalted view of his church. And to be quite frank, it doesn't get much higher than considering the church to be his holy bride. And so this morning I'd like us to look at that picture. Firstly, we'll look at the picture of the church as the bride of Christ. Then secondly, we'll look at what does Jesus' love look like as he loves his bride. And then finally, we'll look at to what end or for what purpose. So firstly, what does this picture of the bride of Christ look like? Let's, let's just read uh, verses 22 to 27 of Ephesians 5 together again. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If you want to be particular, if you want to be pedantic, nowhere in that passage does it say the church equals the bride of Christ. It doesn't say that the church is a bride or the bride is the church, if you want to be particular. But I think any fair reading of those verses, any fair-minded reading of those verses, can see the comparison and the illustration there that the church is the bride of Christ. If you want to look at some other passages, please um, turn to Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, verse 7 to 9, let's read these verses together. This is John seeing into heaven again, and he says, Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands 
for the righteous acts of the saints. There's a picture here in Revelation 19 of, of the Lamb of God awaiting for his bride to come. And if you turn to another page in Revelation 21, we get a glimpse of who that bride is. The first few verses of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And when it talks about holy cities, the new Jerusalem, it, for those of us who are familiar with the scriptures, we're, we're aware that Jerusalem is, is often synonymous with the people of God. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We know from Ephesians 5, from Revelation 19 and Revelation 21, if we take this composite sketch together, that the church of God is likened to the bride of Christ. We don't have time to look at these passages, but if you look at Matthew 9.15 or Mark 2.19, Luke 5.34 or John 3.29, the Lord Jesus himself is described as the bridegroom awaiting for something. And if he's the bridegroom, the natural question is, who is the bride? And so these passages that we've looked at, taken together, describe the church as the bride of Christ as a strong theme throughout the scriptures. You see, we may look at the church through various lenses, but when Jesus sees the church, he doesn't see denominations necessarily. He doesn't primarily see church buildings He doesn't see hierarchy or bureaucracy. He may see all of those things, but he doesn't see those things primarily. He sees a bride. Now, I hope, um, I don't know who's married here. I suspect that there are many in this room who are married. Husbands, I hope you can relate to this. If not, you're probably going to get a little ear bashing from your wife later. Can you remember your wedding day? It may be five years ago, maybe 25 years ago. Can you remember your wedding day? What, does that, what did that look like? For me, maybe I'm typical or atypical, it means arriving to the church early, checking everything's right. Your palms are sweaty, your groomsmen are trying to calm you down, your pastor sits you down, draws you aside into a room, prays with you, tries to say... It's going to be a great day. Relax. It's an exciting day. It's a day full of adrenaline, full of anticipation. But then the guests start to arrive. The church starts to fill. Everyone starts sitting in the back row, of course. The ushers encourage them to the front. The church slowly starts to fill. Noise rises. And then the minister steps up the front and quietens everyone down invites the congregation to stand. The music commences. The door at the back of the church opens. The procession starts coming down. But then that moment arrives. Husbands, can can you remember? 
I hope you can remember. By the end of today, you'll remember. Your bride. Your bride appears in the doorway and you see her face. You see her dressed. And it's breathtaking. You can't see anyone else in that room. You can't see any fault with your bride. And you're just enamoured, raptured. You're besotted. I think it's fair to say, like any husband, like any husband, Jesus admires, he adores, he is besotted, he dotes over his church. To him, the church is glorious, it's beautiful, it is wonderful to behold. And we have to ask ourselves, is that how we view the church, Christ's bride? Do we see the church as beautiful and precious and glorious in his sight? Are you ecstatic about church? I'm not just talking about the church meetings. Are you ecstatic about your brothers and sisters? Are you ecstatic about the work of God in other places? Or is the church for you a take it or leave it sort of proposition? It's okay, but it doesn't do much for me. At Stanmore, um, we have a lot of young adults, lots of Generation Y, so please pray for us. They're a generation raised up with the virtual world, with the online world. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. There are churches out there that, that put themselves out there to say, you don't need to come to us. We're, we're just out there. All you have to do is log in, download sermons, interact on, on chat rooms. That, that is church for them. That's the generation, the age we live in. I was really encouraged the other day because um, we, we have this new young adult who's been coming with us, uh, been joining us for the last three months, and she had us around for dinner. And she was on and off for a while, but she, she invited us around for dinner, and she tells us that, that she's been saved. And I said, give us some of the marks. What, what, why do you think that? And one of the, she, she gave us lots of reasons that, that give us uh, great confidence. But one of the reasons she said is, I love church. I can't not help but be here. I need to be with God's people. I used to just download things online and I used to just read what I can. But she says, it's not the same. I need to be with God's people. Do you see the church as a bride, something beautiful to behold. Maybe you see some problems. Maybe you see all the problems, faults and failings. And to be fair, there are plenty of things wrong with churches. But you know, Jesus, being God himself, you know, he's omniscient. You know that word. Omniscient. He knows all things. He knows more of our faults than we do ourselves. And yet he still loves his bride. He still loves his church. So do you love the church? Do you love the bride of Christ? Let's just turn to what does this love look like? 
It says Jesus loves the church. By way of contrast, we are sadly familiar that there are many poor examples of marriage out there, aren't there? I can't remember the latest statistic, whether it's 30-40% of marriages break down. And many of those who stay together, they're, they're, they're suboptimal, really. And for some people, when they think of husbands, when they think of loving husbands, they see someone who comes home who is indifferent. To them, the best example they see is someone who comes home, throws his stuff on the floor, turns on the TV, and doesn't engage with family life whatsoever. Or to them, the best idea of a loving husband is someone who's self-serving, who's demanding about his meals, his personal tastes of how things should be done in the home. And he expresses that in a tyrannical way. Or perhaps to some, a loving husband is the husband that is too busy. He says he loves his wife, he says he loves his family, but he's never around. He always has to stay back late at work. He has to go in on weekends. He needs to do this errand, this chore. But the one thing the family, the one thing the wife needs is just some time. Well, we, if we're to be biblical, must discard all substandard examples of marriage. You see, in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, it says... Husbands, love your wives, not as this negative example, but just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He takes up a cross. He denies himself. He lifts that burden. Now, just as an aside for all guys here, speaking to different uh, couples. When we talk about sacrificial um, love in a family, this isn't the big swan song. This isn't the big, I'll take a bullet for my wife if I need to. When Jesus loves the church and gives his life for the church, he gives his life daily by serving. You, you'll recall all those examples of washing feet. This comes way before the cross. If you ask your wife, I wasn't meant to address husbands, but I can't help myself. If you had to ask your wives, would you rather just that one moment that, that I'll give my life for my family, or would you rather every single day serving your wife, I know what the answer will be, and they want the thing at the end too. Because greater confidence in that, great, in that last thing if they know you do it daily. Jesus gave himself, he gave his life for the church. He denies personal preference. He takes on that burden. But let's just see, who does he lay down his life for? He lays his life down for the church. And just for a moment, I'd like you to look around Look around this congregation. Think of other Christian family and friends, Christian enemies even. Yes, there are those too. Who would you give your life up for? 
We usually sit together in family groups in church, so I suspect those who are sitting to the left and to your right, husbands, wives, children, you'd be willing to lay down your life for a loved one, for someone in your church that's part of your immediate family. But I suspect, like our church back home in Stanmore, there are those who struggle with laziness. There are people in this church who struggle with stubbornness. There are people in this church who struggle with pride, as they do in my home church, or thoughtlessness, or gossip. My question to you and to me is, are these the type of people we would lay our lives down for? Are these the type of people that you would wash their feet? Not just your immediate family. Because you love your immediate family, not because they're part of your church, but because they're family. But the church is a wider family. And so often we say, yeah, we go to church with them. Uh, they're, they're, They're difficult. People struggle with me in my church. I struggle with others. But when Christ laid down his life, he laid down his life for his one church. Not just the easily lovable. Now the thing is, we can't replicate Jesus' redemptive works. We can't. We can't add to his salvation in that sense. But we can imitate that attitude. For those of you who follow the news, you would have heard, perhaps you would have heard that tragic story that came to light a few, uh, I think a few days ago, that cruise liner that came in um, and when the ship docked, uh, for those who aren't aware, they did the passenger, passenger list and they discovered that two people were missing. They said, well, how can two people be missing on a cruise ship? They searched through the, um, the video, CCTV footage, and it turned out that two people went overboard. Upon closer inspection of the video footage, it looks like the woman went over first. They don't know what, what she was doing on the other side of the rails, but it looks like she went over first. And the man that she was with is actually a paramedic. And it looks like he went over a few seconds after, perhaps, to save her. It appears both are now lost. His act, his his act to try and save, is ineffective. But surely we can appreciate the motives and the desires of this husband to try and save his wife. So we don't add. We don't add to um, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But surely as we serve the church, as we give of our life, God gains glory and honour. So what might loving Christ's bride look like for this church, for you, for me? What does it look like beyond the words that say, I love my church or I love the church of the church of God. Well, we live in a very time-poor era, don't we? We we live in an age where time is of a premium, 
we, we, generally speaking, we have a lot of money, but we don't have much time. So I think one accurate measure of practical love is what your diaries and what your schedules look like. Whether it's a physical thing or it's on your iPhone or it's on your calendar desktop, what does your diary look like? Can your church, whether it's this church or if you're visiting your home church, can your church rely on your regular presence at the gathered meetings? Could be worship on a Sunday morning, it could be prayer meetings, church picnics, rosters for cleaning, work days, whatever it is that you do as a church. By your diaries and by your schedules, could someone say, this person, this family, this couple, love the church enough to give of their time? Or are we like those husbands that say, of course I love my family, but I've got to stay back at work. Don't have time to... to, Sorry, I don't have time to put the kids to bed. Don't have time to help around the home. Of course I love the church, but I'm never around. So through diaries and schedules. But then a second area is perhaps motives. Why are you part of this church? Why are you committed to this church? I'm assuming you are. Is it because of faithful preaching? I'm convinced there is faithful preaching here every week. Is this why you're part of this church? Are you part of this church because people care for you, people pray for you, people support you? Are you part of this church because of very helpful ministries? I'm sure we're all part of churches for those reasons. And there is nothing wrong, per se, with those reasons. They are good, they are noble, they are great reasons to be part of church. But I want to suggest that sometimes what underlines those motives is... Has, has anyone here ever heard of WIFM? W-I-F-M. WIFM. 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 You might hear it in certain circles because WIFM stands for what's in it for me. All of those things are good things. Great teaching, great fellowship, great ministries. They are great things to pursue. And I don't want to diminish those. But if your primary reason for coming to this church or any church is to be served what's in it for me, then that's like the husband coming home saying, Where are my slippers? That's not a loving husband. And if we're to be Christ-like, we're to come to church to serve, to love her, to care for her. Jesus doesn't lay down his life for what the church can do for him. He lays down his life for the church to serve her.
So we've looked at the picture, we've looked at what does Christ's love look like, and then thirdly, why did Jesus give his life up for the church? Yes, to serve her, but for a glorious end. For a glorious end. Let's just read 26 to 27 of Ephesians 5 together. He gave himself up for her. For what end? To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's given up his life for the church to get her ready, to get her prepared. Quick question for the married, or for anyone really, how long does it get... How long does it take to get a, a groom ready for a wedding? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, if you're trying hard, an hour. I know these days, the Gen Y, they put a lot of product in their hair, so that might take a bit longer. Not long, not long in short. Brides or brides-to-be, you reckon you can do it in less than an hour? For whatever reason... It's one of those mysteries of God. It takes a long time to get, the, to get a bride ready. My exhortation to Dremoyne and to my church at home and other churches is that when we're pursuing these things, there has to be a recognition that the church is imperfect. The Bible doesn't gloss over reality. Just read 1 Corinthians. The church is a mixed bag of fruit. And for us, it's tempting to accelerate eschatology. You know, we know God is going to perfect the church, but we want it to happen faster. We want it to happen yesterday. We live in a day of impatience. And it's really tempting for us to say, that church, that's a write-off. Look, look at how many blemishes she has. What a misfit bunch of Christians, if you can call them that. In this life, there will be disappointment in churches. There will be deep hurts. There will be pain. And the scriptures are rife with them. I think it's hard to think of an epistle or a description of a church without a problem, without an issue. You see, it never negates... All these issues never negates the importance of the church of God to God. Perfection isn't the basis of Christ's love for the bride. There's still much work to be done. And we have to be careful of our, of our observations, of our criticisms. Sometimes attacks of other churches, of other ministries. Sometimes we can be hypercritical. Christ is committed to getting his bride, the church, ready for that glorious reveal. I've had the privilege of going to Europe a number of times. Um, 
actually spent four years of my life living um, in the UK and I had the opportunity to visit Paris um, on a number of occasions. I think it's my favourite city. It's just beautifully laid out, um, beautiful buildings, architecture, parks. It's just a wonderful city. It's an architectural delight. But the one building I have never seen properly is an old cathedral. It's an old Gothic cathedral called Notre Dame. Um, It's on a little island between um, the north and the south of the city. Every time I go to Paris, there's always some piece of scaffolding on there. The front, the back, the left, the right. There's always scaffolding on this beautiful building. And I am really looking forward to one day going there with my camera and Instagram and taking that beautiful shot of that building. One day when she is revealed, this physical building, it'll look splendid. When you look at the church of God today, with all our faults, with all our problems, just remember, don't confuse the scaffolding for the church. There'll be issues in this church, there'll be issues in the churches down the road that you might work with, brothers and sisters in other churches. Just remember that one day that scaffolding will be removed. And as Christians, we ought to long for that day. We ought to anticipate with joy when there will be that great reveal and the church, the bride of Christ, will be revealed in all her glory. I'm sure people here have been to plenty of weddings. Plenty of weddings. It doesn't matter what the the bride and the groom look like before that great day. Have you ever been to a wedding when the bride comes down you go, not sure about that. Every bride that comes down is prepared, looks immaculate. And if it's true for human weddings, how much more so of that great marriage supper of the Lamb? When the Lamb of God comes, it says in Revelation 19, And to her was it granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for that fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We may limp along as churches, we may struggle, we may crawl, we may fall. But there will come a day when we will be perfected, wholly sanctified and ready to meet our Saviour, to meet our Groom. Just some closing thoughts. Do you see Dremoin Baptist as a local, as a local image, as a local manifestation of Christ's bride? Do you honour her? Do you serve her with your time, your talents? If not, why not? This church isn't just a building, it isn't 
a nice bunch of people. It is ultimately the bride of Christ or part of the bride of Christ, which is part of the wider church. It's my second thought. Do you see the wider church as Jesus' bride? When it talks about the bride, you know, in in the scriptures, when it talks about churches, local churches, well, sorry, in, in the scriptures, it often talks about churches as local manifestations. When it talks about the bride, it actually talks about it as the church universal. It's one of the few places where the church is this one universal church. And in certain circles, it's sometimes easy to say, we've got it right. It's very easy to say, we're right on the money on this, how we preach, how we conduct our services, how we do ministry. And and that may or may not be the case. But sometimes we take that as a license to criticise, not just criticise, but be hypercritical of other gospel works. I'm not sure about the husbands in this room, but if someone was to criticise your wife, I dare say most of us wouldn't take to that too lightly. So I challenge our church, I challenge myself to not to be too hypercritical of other genuine works of God. Because ultimately we're putting down, we're criticising Jesus' bride. We're saying, gee, she's ugly. She's awful. She's horrid. And we know God is a jealous God. So we ought to be careful how we view the wider church. And the final thought is, are we committed to getting ready for a glorious end? Are we anticipating that one day we'll be part of a great celebration? Are we putting to death sin in our lives? hiding that under the blood of the Lamb to wash away, to cleanse away all our sins? Are we waiting with anticipation to know that one day, not just us, but every true believer across the world and throughout time will be united as one glorious church to be with him forever? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. We thank you that in your wisdom you have chosen to unite yourself to us as as a groomsman to a bride. Our Lord, help us to have a higher view of your church. Help us to love her, serve her. Help us to cherish her. Help us to persevere with one another. And, O Lord, we pray for a gracious spirit to come amongst your people. Knit our hearts together in love with all true believers and give us that hope, that certain anticipation 
that you will perfect all of these things on that great day. Lord, we thank you that you are that great lamb taking us to yourself, perfecting us, completing us. We thank you that you delight in us, that you love us, you care for us. And we thank you in your great name. Amen.